We are living dangerously. We are living today. dangerously. We do not even have a rundown. We Lee are just Sales is operating Son's spreadsheet. <laughs> it's just like she's got a wild look in her eyes. So, like, just for context, in case you know anyone's ever wondering how this shit show gets um, put together. What happens is we've got a little list in a handy little app called AnyList, which is actually quite a cool thing for running joint grocery lists and stuff. So it's got, like, I've got one that's sort of, you know, spring onions, cottage cheese. But I've, I've got another one that says Chat 10. And as we read or consume items of culture, we list it in the, why am I sun- suddenly sounding like a, <laughs> a Burnside lady? No, I just don't know. Anyway, uh, so we just note it all down. And normally what happens uh, before a podcast is that one or other of us will sort of bash it into a bit of a shape, you know, like, oh, look, you know, um, we could start here and then go there. That, that would be a good flow. And today that hasn't happened. It has not. Um, it's funny also when we make that joint list, often we just look at it on the morning of the pod. It's amazing sometimes how a theme kind of emerges and you realise, so oh, we've all been doing, you know, podcasts all the time where it's all memoirs Isn't or that, it's all something or other. Yeah. How does that happen? It's like, you know, watching starlings above Rome, you know, the way that they hit all these formations and stuff. Know. Well, it's, birds, yeah, birds. Let's um, let's Let's drop the bird analogy. But like... It's like that thing where suddenly there's four movies about Winston Churchill yeah, all so out at once. Strange. Sometimes when I look at your contributions, I haven't even heard of them. I don't even know if they're novels or, or yeah. what they are. Yeah. Hey, um, I need to make a correction from uh, one of our more recent podcasts. So I declared recently that Dick Cheney, the former oh. US <laughs> Vice President, was deceased. <laughs> look, turns out <laughs> premature. <laughs> He's in fact very much alive. Um, well, I didn't. I didn't um, even think about it at the time either because I actually thought he was a bit deady bones as well. But it's so weird. But, um, so hilariously, um, I better not say who it was, but a contact in the federal parliament a contacted me. <laughs> He said, um, just letting you know, Dick Cheney's not dead. And so then I realised, oh, I, I guess I've maybe like merged because Donald Rumsfeld is yes. dead and that was quite recent, yeah. so maybe I'd merged that. Death is catching. And then yeah. Colin Powell, the Secretary I of State, know. just died this week as well. So they are dropping like flies. Yeah, that in your defence, it's a high-risk operation. <laughs> but the problem is now every time I see that MP's uh, name show up in a text, I, I quickly do a mental check of, have I said that anyone's dead recently in anything? Because <laughs> I think I'm going to Death police. <laughs> the death police. Um, do you know, Colin Powell's death reminds Reminds me of the one time clang I met him. Yeah, um, which was in 2011 when I was in the states, and um, I was in a small group of people that um, had a chat with him, and then we got to sort of you know um, jawbone a bit. And he told the most fantastic story. Now he was um, he served in the army with Elvis. In fact, he was Elvis's superior officer. Right. Um, they were stationed in Italy, I think, and. Um, he, uh, you know, so I think he's always had a few kind of like Elvis yarns. But when he was Secretary of State and he was sent by Bush to go and have the first meeting with Yunichiro Koizumi, remember that um, Japanese Prime Minister with the crazy perm? Yeah. I loved him. Um, anyway, and so he was on the plane on his way to meet this Japanese Prime Minister for the first time and he's flipping through the sort of full CIA briefing, you know, notes and he finds that Koizumi is this just off-the-charts Elvis fan and so he thinks, well, as it so happens, I've got a little (laughs) secret weapon. So his first overture to Koizumi, the new um, Japanese Prime Minister, is to burst into song and kind of deliver Love Me Tender or something like that. (laughs) And then Koizumi's sort of singing along anyway. 
diplomacy, man. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you've got to reach for whatever tool you can in that context. Oh, there's plenty of tools around usually in that environment. Um, now, I am dying to ask you about Helen Garner's new book, which oh, I, thought I you... only just got and I haven't started and I know that you've read it. I thought you were about to say I was about to ask um, uh, that you were dying to ask about Hamilton, which I saw last night oh, in the first back. return from back, lockdown. And I won't go on about it because I know people are annoyed, but, oh, my God, that show has got um, just stupendously even better um, over lockdown. It, yeah. I can't. I cried actually. Oh um, wow! Yeah, was the audience super? The engaged? audience was just on something. Right. I don't know. Like it was just there was just this complete energy in the room, and I don't know. Like the the performances were just wow. And like, when Jason Arrow sort of stepped forward for the first time and said, "My name is Alex," deafening, deafening. Oh, like great. he couldn't say anything. Oh, that's great. And um, but the room where it happens, which is. Just, One of you your favourites. Yeah, just unbelievable. Absolutely great. Yeah. So, I can't um, wait. Yeah, and I think that they've had to, because of all the changes, I think they ended up basically refunding all the tickets. So, weirdly yeah. enough, I think there's, I mean, I think you can still get a ticket. Yeah. But anyway, um, I just, the, th- the feeling of being in a theatre again was just, I was unprepared for how emotional I found it, actually. Mm. I, it's so hard for all the arts companies. We had a story on 7.30 about the return of stuff, and one of the ones I feel really sorry for has come from away because they had yeah. only just opened. Yeah. And the problem is that what happens is you build momentum because yeah. people see it and everyone's talking about it and people will remember from earlier this year when Hamilton opened that there's just, you know, endless buzz going and yeah. then it just stops stone cold dead. Yeah. It's really hard to pick that up and kind of revive it. It's also I'm absolutely real, dying to see that show. Also a real um, problem for books when people are launching books yep. because you kind of need to be able to browse in bookshops because you might have heard somebody chatting about something on the radio yep. or the TV and then you see it and you go, oh, that's so-and-so's yeah. book and then you yep. grab it. So it's a bit of a, um, it's just a real drag for everybody. <sighs> go to the bookshop and go and see something live. Oh, yeah, back them in. Um, yep. Okay, um, <laughs> Okay, so the third volume of the Ghana Diaries is out, right? Um, well, it's shortly to be out. Um, and I got to read it early. Clay! Um, it's just, uh, it is, it's a highly tense ride because it's about the breakdown of her marriage to um, another famous writer who I don't think I'll name because she hasn't and you can find out who it is very easily obviously but the weird thing is as you read the diary and like the thing with Ghana right when she writes non-fiction you know who all the characters are when she writes fiction, sometimes she's, you know, borrowing things from her own life so you don't know the, who the characters are. This diary reads like a novel um, and it has that same kind of just sort of elliptical looping feel um, of the diaries um, that preceded it. You know, it kind of dwells on a little problem and then has a little panic attack and then there'll then there'll be this incredible observation of something completely unconnected and then there'll be this outrageously funny entry where she's being you know it's just it's a, it's, a, it's a really compelling shape to absorb a, a drama um it's a really interesting structure but the drama is just heart in the mouth because you see what's happening with the marriage and you kind of by de-identifying everybody, it becomes almost like 
and every story about what goes wrong in a relationship. And I just think it's also really telling about her career as a writer because half the time she's fretting about, you know, she actually basically suggests that she stopped writing fiction because she felt awkward sort of competing on the same turf as her husband, who's like a very established novelist and views the novel as the high point of the art form. And so this question of like her not really having a space to be a writer in her own relationship is full on. And then there's a literal space issue because her husband, they share a flat, it's got two bedrooms, they could both work there, but he requires absolute quiet and for the flat to be empty. So she is required to leave the house during business hours. And so for a bit she rents this horrible dingy office and then she's, you know, working out of a friend's spare room and then she's – I just am so full of rage reading it that I I found it really uh, – yeah, I got super cross. Imagine in your household if you said, I can't produce my work unless I'm surrounded by silence. And so, Jeremy, <laughs> you need to get the children out yeah. of the house between the hours of 10 and 6 and not return until then because but, I require silence to But work. also, it will still be your job to do all of the cooking and cleaning and stuff. Like, that that's the other part of the arrangement. <gasps> it's very Virginia Woolf, a room of one's own, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what all I could think of when I was reading it. And, in fact, you know... Um, I think she mentions Wolf at some point, but a very funny line that's not about a room of one's own. But it's just, um, it's so stark. And, you know, these diaries are 25 years old. But I feel, you know, now so stricken at the thought of this woman who's, you know, such a gargantuan figure, right, in um, Australian literature, just having to kind of, Ah, oh, stretch herself and she's constantly questioning herself. She's going to therapy because she's, you know, digging around inside her own psyche and, and exploring her sort of guilt and inadequacies. And then, you know, the husband's just like a couple of times he'll say, yeah, I don't, he doesn't understand why she's going to therapy. He's like, well, I'm pretty happy with myself. <laughs> There's just like this incredible asymmetry of self-examination that just makes you want to scream, but... I also think one of the things that she's achieved, I think, in Australian literature is teaching us all to kind of absorb writing literature in a different way. Like, I think at that time, a lot of people probably thought, like her husband did, that the that the that the novel is the king of the the art form and that there's a particular way to write a novel and, you know, and she felt sort of inadequate for not following that playbook. But she's kind of written a new playbook and that is a quite a monumental thing to have achieved, I think. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's weird too, the kind of snobbery that exists around, you know, the novel being the premier art form sure, of yep. literature and mm-hmm. then, you know, non-fiction and yep. then, you know, journalism's at the very bottom of the tree because yes. it's really... Hello there from it's, the bottom. <laughs> it's kind of like um, when you're talking about fruit, um, you know, it's all fruit, but, you know, an apple's not a pear, you know, it's a different... Right. An apple's not a banana, like mm-hmm. they're entirely different. Yep. Um, and a good apple and a great banana don't really bear much resemblance to each other at all, even right. though they are both fruit. So, you know, that's the same with a novel and, and non-fiction. Like, they're both their own, you know, critical kind of skill set. I would actually argue, too, that Garner's novels actually 
are as good as her nonfiction too. Yeah. Like The Spare Room, I yeah. think, is a perfect piece of fiction. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting getting if, into that. But if you think about what, you know, what should the work of literature be, right? Like it should be, it's sort of getting people from A to B, right? Like, I mean, your measure of how good a piece of writing is, I think, is has this transported me somewhere? Like has it taken me somewhere recreationally or has it taken me somewhere in a soulful way? Like has it changed where I stand? Has mm. it, you know, opened up a new perspective for me? Like it, the work that writing does is one of tra- – is is a transportational assignment, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think nonfiction – transports you from A to B by teaching you stuff or um, opening up um, something that you hadn't thought of. And that's sort of the same thing as what fiction is doing, just yeah. in a different way, right? Like, yeah, so exactly. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a um, I think it's a bit of a false distinction. And I think nobody has really challenged that distinction as much as Ghana has over the course of her career. So um, I, oh my God. It, it's 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 an amazing read. Do I need to set aside like five hours to read the whole thing in one go? I would. That um, well, uh, no, because the thing is with the diary form, she's written it in a way that is the way that you live when you're juggling work and life, right? Like, And I think over the last couple of years, like all of us have, well, like women in particular have really had to embrace this form of working where you're like, oh, hello, I'm working from my kitchen table now and my kid is next to me doing maths, so that's going to affect the way I work. And so you kind of bite off it, take little bites of everything and, you know, digest them one by one, right? You get this done and then you have a break and then you make a sandwich for that kid and then you whatever. Like the diary is actually like that in style because you, she's absolutely hysterical about this, you know, relationship breakdown and the next minute she's like, absolutely cacking herself with her friends in a in a gin bar right like and that is sort of life right like yeah. that's how you live life yeah. even when you've got some great tragedy going on you're still going out and doing you know you're shopping you're still doing this and that and i think i find her diaries massively comforting in times of trouble because they remind me that the topography of trauma and difficulty and depression and you know how the you know, how am I going to get around this is just, it's part of, you know, life, right? And Mm. it's not all of life. And Mm. I think it's good to be reminded on incredibly bleak days that, you know, there is sunshine coming up at some point. Um, Yeah, and and I guess the sunshine that exists in the kind of normal um, routine of life, like just making a piece of toast, buttering it, eating it, it's delicious. You know what I mean? Like all of those kind of little things. Oh, hey, what do you? Oh, sorry. Somebody just delivered me, and it was a, such a chatter thing because <laughs> yeah. Jeremy was out the front, you know, I don't know, obsessing over his lawn strip or something. Um, more of that coming up after the break. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he actually polices it. He grew some lawn during lockdown. Nice. Well very, done. very well watchful done, over it. Anyway, he was out there, you know, <laughs> toenail clippering it or something, and um, <laughs> this woman just turned up and thrust a paper bag in his hands. And he came in and uh, he said, some chatter's just dropped something off for you. I said, oh, who was it? He said, oh, Margot. I'm like, Margot, okay. And I think it was Margot. Oh, yeah, Margot. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, I opened it up and there's this 
block of truffle butter. Oh. She's just like, oh. you need some truffle, truffle butter, girlfriend. Oh, yum. And... Oh, my God, it's so good. What did you do with it? I immediately cut off a slice and ate it like, geez, this is what I did, my friend. It's, it's um it's It's made by that Mark Best guy, the oh, restaurateur yeah. who, yep. I, you know, love his books and writing. But, yes. Geez, he can really crank out a good truffle butter. But, hey, um, I haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but I've got just... Have you got truffle margarine in your fridge <laughs> or like just... Yeah, yeah. I got... Stephanie Alexander has a new cookbook called Home. I haven't yes. had a chance to go oh, through it yet. Neither have I. No. no, I've got it sitting on my. Well, that uh, went nowhere. Sitting on my desk. <laughs> no, I just thought you might have looked at it. I mean, shit. Her, as I've said, eight squillion times. The yeah. Cook's Companion by Stephanie Alexander, yep. probably my all-time favourite yep. and most used cookbook. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm You're really not looking forward to having mm. a good sticky beak through it, but I just haven't had a chance yet. Um, yeah, I have cooked something out of that new Otolenghi cookbook. Otolenghi Test Kitchen. Test yeah. Kitchen. What no, was it? What's it called? It's called. It's got a really funny, interesting. It's um, called o- OTK, isn't it? Otolenghi Test Kitchen. Um. No, it's got oh. a funny um, – hang on. Uh, I'm just going to find that because it's quite um, a good title. It's called Shelf Love. Is it? It's okay. called Otlengi Test Kitchen, Shelf Love. Oh, okay. Radio. I just thought Shelf Love was a really great title for a cookbook because <laughs> it's got onanism I, and pantry. I suspect. Moist pantry. Oh, I just got Get the, it? I just shelf got love. self-love, shelf-love. I just got it. It just I wish they'd put the kicker in like, you know, this will moisten your pantry. <laughs> <laughs> What's on Ottolenghi's, um, you know, the back of his shelf, it would just not be the same as now, what's on the back of Now, this is where you shelf. just revert to your prejudice about this man because you'll be like, oh, there's 18 different kinds He's, of smoked chili. Yeah, exactly. He's like, get your, get your jar of Rosa Reese around. I'm like, oh, yeah, God's God. sake, I don't just keep but a jar of Rosa Reese It's such a brilliant idea because it's basically how to use up all of the stuff that's in your cupboard well, that you from bought the last time from the last time yeah. Onion, you only used it's one brilliant. eighth of a teaspoon of it's the elephant chili flakes or whatever yeah um hey <laughs> I so, made, do you want to hear what i made yes i made something called a giant cus, a giant giant couscous cake oh i saw so that many recipe. seeds yeah, yeah i saw that yeah in so the it's book, basically yeah. you make now i am you know my love for giant couscous is just eternal like and limitless couscous. i love it yeah. i don't i like I much prefer it to a small couscous. <laughs> size actually does matter. Um, anyway, uh, so you boil your mohrabia or giant couscous. Israeli couscous is something else that it's called. Um, and then you essentially sort of fold it into a sort of frittata mix, which is eggs and Greek yogurt and smashed up toasted um, coriander seeds and herbs and um, chard, spring onion and spinach and all this sort of good stuff and then you kind of like you cook it like a frittata in a pan and then it's got this sort of piquant red pepper kind of garlicky roasty sauce that goes over it very very good and does it slice up and hold its shape like a cake ish yeah right. i mean you've got some you've, you've definitely got some escaping balls happening <laughs> for sure it's not it's not it's not it's not agassi oh, type dear. ball control <laughs> but um, it is uh, – it's really good. In fact, good. I, must, I took a very pleasing picture of mine at a, at a picnic, which I must post in the group. But, um, yeah. Uh, will it go the way of the cauliflower cake? Too soon to say. Speaking of picnics, I hate eating outdoors. Really? Did you, how is did that you because find the picnic my dog lockdown? ate your Basque cheesecake <laughs> not long ago? <laughs> Gave it a big lick right oh, across the centre. Oh, that was the worst. Um, Dogs no, are just, the worst. Do you know what I kind of hate is it's uncomfortable sitting on the ground and also um, <laughs> I don't like 
having dirty utensils that I have to repack up dirty. Oh. Yeah. I'd like this to be, I'd like this commentary to be done in your voice, please. I don't like packing up the utensils when they're dirty and putting them back in the bag. It's very offensive to me. (laughs) So I went on a picnic recently where (laughs) afterwards there was this sort of massive fork confusion because, like, everybody, you know, who was at the picnic, there's a kind of joint WhatsApp thing. And someone starts it up with a picture of this fork saying, did anybody picture, did anybody come home with a spare fork? (laughs) And then, um, and it was, you know, a photograph of its sibling um, from the house. uh, And, you know, I bought this fork in a, you know, um, in a Brooklyn, you know, yard sale. It's very, and it was a very handsome fork. But I I didn't have the fork. Nobody had the fork. But then once we started looking at our forks, we realised that everybody had, mystery forks but they didn't match right like it wasn't like well I don't have your fork but I got another fork I had this thing at my house one time where <laughs> I, after everyone left there was some salad servers and yeah. like they were not mine you like, ever found I those own them. you ever found the owner and no and then so I've said it to the group like whose salad tongs are these no nobody's like right. how did how did you little buggers get into my house? Right. And I've got a chopping board at my house still that I brought home after that housewarming type thing we had at your house oh, yeah. I think yeah. and I'm like, oh, I've got your chopping board, and you, you, quick as a flash, not mine, not coming back to my place. Please don't return it. I don't <laughs> Do want you it. What's and I've never for? found whose it was. We also, you and I, were involved <laughs> in a funny message the other day where a friend put up a, a plate that was in for my taste. Hideous. Oh, that's right. Oh <laughs> it was my, like this yeah. fusty floral kind of just, but bleh. not vintage floral. No, it was, it was, it was like a foul. new production. But it was sort of like, hey, I'm going to cheaply recreate the lovely vintage plates of the past and also overdo it. It was really foul. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, they <laughs> texted me and you to say, um, is this, does this belong to either of you? And I was like, I'm just offended that somebody would think that I would own such a disgusting <laughs> No, she started and I with me. She did, actually. She, and started, I immediately she picked me out of the lineup. Like, yeah, that looks like crap. Wow. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. <laughs> wow. Well, the only reason I thought that was because I hated it so much and I know that our taste is so different. I thought, well, it's definitely not mine, so it has to be crabs. Well, that's fugly. Probably crabs. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've, we've given her permission to smash it. Hey, now. Um, Probably wants smashing anyway. You know how we're both fans of the Indiscreet Memoir? Oh, I love it. Just, just read one. Oh, really? A yeah. full drop your guts? Full drop your guts. Oh, who? Brian Cox, who plays oh. Logan Roy in Succession. Oh. His memoir's called Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. Uh, and, I, <laughs> and I interviewed him last night. Clang. Oh. Um, it's really good. I think you will really enjoy it because it covers um, his childhood in Scotland, you know, huge poverty, and then obviously like a lot of those actors, you know, big theatre career in the UK and then it morphs into television and film and stuff like that. So he is massively indiscreet and uncomplimentary oh. about many people. Oh, great. Including sort of <laughs> just saints of the, you know, uh, film world. So... Sir Ian McKellen, he basically just says, can't act. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a giant call. I wish I had. He basically just says he just does a very different style of acting to me. Um, I preferred can't act. I mean, I just think lead with your chin. He, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but there's one about Michael Caine where he goes, you know, Michael, <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest fan of Michael, but, you know, he is an institution. He is Sir Michael Caine. And, and being an institution will always trump having range. <laughs> Johnny Depp was another one. He says something like, (laughs) um, you know, Johnny Depp, um, 
he's just so overrated and overblown. I mean, let's take Ed- Edward Scissorhands, for example. You come out with those hands and the pale white-faced makeup and you don't have to do anything. And he didn't and he's done even less ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so it's full of that. But he's also completely drops himself in it. So he, he t- freely admits what a crappy disengaged father he's been. He freely admits cheating on his first two wives. It's an absolute... <laughs> Oh, wow, that'd memoir. be that'd My be one to kind. have a family reading of at Christmas, wouldn't it? it oh, absolutely! I was, <laughs> and I how mean, was he to talk to? He was great. I he didn't was, see your show because I was at Hamilton. It hasn't aired yet. Um, he was somebody that I felt like if you and I were sitting down over a gin and tonic, we would have the most superb conversation because he was quite discursive in the way that he spoke and he raised lots of interesting things. But because of the constraints of the interview format and needing to have to get to time and to needing to like, oh, I've got to ask about this, got to ask about that. We had to keep shuffling along. But I did ask him about, you know how I t- was talking on the podcast about, oh, the Mission Impossible theme came to my head instead of the Bond theme. <laughs> so yeah. I was going to start singing that. No, I, was, I wanted to do... Well, it's too late for that now. Yeah, I know. I've You've missed, ruined missed the opportunity. Um, <laughs> Shall so, I insert a wiggle song just to yeah. confuse things? <laughs> Mashed potato, mashed potato. Oh, stop it. Um, so Once my friend Seb was getting on an international flight. Yeah, with the Wiggles. <laughs> with, a, with his kids. And uh, as he got on, <laughs> I think we I think we were at the airport. I can't remember. And uh, as he was <laughs> getting on, I just sang, have yourself another cup, another cup, another cup of Dorothy's rosy tea, <laughs> which is the most... Filthy, hideous, earworm, Wiggles song. Oh, and his face just like. Because <laughs> I think he had a kid who was into the Wiggles and we'd been like fuming about what a dirty bomb they are for your ears. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so I just planted it. it as he got on a flight. Did you see that so the yellow vicious. Wiggle announced that I she's did, retiring? Yeah. The Batuta Advocate had a hilarious story about it and it was a photo of a crying toddler and the caption said something like, <laughs> Mum tells toddler yellow Wiggle, wiggle is moving to a nice farm. <laughs> I just um, love every time there's a li- Wiggles lineup, you know, change, the world just goes, oh, like, blows up, right? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I love this. So, so you know. back to Brian. Anyway, so, so I Brian. did ask him about, remember on the recent podcast how I said Daniel Craig was talking about how hard it is to deliver the name's Bond, oh, James yeah. Bond? Yeah, I and loved so, that conversation more than I thought I would, actually. And because Brian Cox is a major Shakespearean actor, I asked, I mentioned that and I said, you know, so you've had to do to be or not to be, right? Yeah. So same problem. How do you How do you address it? And he went on this, I will definitely make sure it's left in the edit that goes to air, this superb riff about all the different ways that you might <gasps> say the name's Bond, James Bond. Oh, um, and he said, you know, you might be, he said, you might be kind of resigned to the fact that you are Bond, James Bond. You might be angry about the fact that you are, you've had this life as Bond, James Bond. You might be kind of bewildered as to how you've ended up being James Bond. Oh, like, so he's, 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 and he fantastic. just, he went through about eight and then he was delivering them as he went <gasps> and it was just like, I was nearly screaming in joy. It was oh, so fantastic. Was that just like having a Shakespearean lap dance all to yourself? It was just <laughs> so great. And his voice is, when he did like, you know, the sort of, the name is Bond, James Bond. I mean, he's got, if, as anyone who knows Succession, um, he has a superb voice. Yes. And so it is, you know, he delivers it just really great. And then he talks a lot about Succession as well and Logan Roy and um, I haven't watched the first episode of Season I have. <gasps> have you? Coming up after the break. Oh, yeah, how, how much time have we got left? Oh. I'll make a special exception. Oh, are you? F- <laughs> wow, there's a, a tear in the space-time sales continuum. How much time have we got left? I mean, uh, at this arbitrary long, five minutes. plonk of time <laughs> that you, you dole out to me bitterly every week. Um, how was it? Well, 
first of all, I realise that this is the first time I've ever diarised a series return. Like I put it oh, in my did calendar. You? Wow, so you didn't miss Succession, it. Succession, coming back. Right. And um, so that is significant. I've right. been missing this show and I'm mad for more of it. And absolutely more of it I got. Uh, the first episode, look, I wasn't absolutely blown away by it. It kind of is, it's a continuation energy-wise of where the last season wound up. So I don't know what the next twist is going to be. Did like, you watch the last couple of episodes of the previous one to just get your head back no, and remind yourself? Did no, you feel I like did you, not. you I wish you had? Or? No. Okay, right here. No. But you could. I mean, the last episode is a real absolute ball terror. So, right. you know, you, you could have a bit of fun watching the last episode of season two anyway. Right. Um, so all I'll say is, like, it didn't, it didn't make me go, like, whoa, my God. Yeah. Because right. it's kind of. It's sort of a bit more of the same. So I don't know what... Well, they'd have to pull it down, wouldn't they? Because the final two episodes of the previous season were like oh, yeah. fever pitch yeah. angst. So you'd so have to... Just all else, I, I just I feel like I, I can't see what the next... What the shape of the next series is going to be. That's which good. Which is fine. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, well, Brian... But was, there's a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in it. He said um, he's Brian. not a big fan of method... And he said the guy who plays Kendall, whose name escapes me, the eldest son. Yes. Um, he said I do know his name, Jeremy Strong. That's right, yeah. Mm. He said he really – he said, I can't think about his way of preparing too much because it stresses me and I'm concerned for his health because oh. he is so – does go so deep. And then he talked about Kieran Culkin and yeah. he said he's obviously a great admirer of Kieran Culkin, who's Roman. He's so funny. He's, he's shockingly funny. Hilarious. Yeah. He, t- he was talking about, you know, the difficulty making a transition from being a child actor to an adult actor mm. and he says Kieran Culkin's done that really incredibly incredibly well hmm. um, and he said he does a lot of improvisation and he's much more kind of fluid than yeah, um, right. Jeremy Strong is and so he said they both bring something really different to it but they're both really super talented at what oh, they do. The other thing that he was interesting on was we got to talking a bit about entitlement and he has some concerns that we live in this age of entitlement. He was talking about they're at some massive succession function in some Italian villa mm. and this, he said this large group of people came in and Brian Cox goes, who are they? And they said, oh, they're the influencers. <laughs> He was like, what? And so he was talking about, and he said they were so entitled, like that everything was kind of laid on for free in exchange for their then, you know, publicising things. Um, Anyway, he was talking about that he thinks Succession at at its heart is a show, among other things, about entitlement because he said Logan Roy doesn't have entitlement because he's come up from zero. Everything Mm. that he's got he has kind of built up. Mm -hmm. But his children have a sense of entitlement because they've been born into it. And Logan loves them, but he's trying to... Get them away from. He's all trying of to the... smash them up a bit, but yeah. like, of course, it doesn't. You know, you can't kind of visit the same depredations of poverty and struggle right. on your amazingly wealthy children, right? That's like, right. Yeah. yeah. So but your only way to really do it, the only way to toughen them up, is to actually be cruel to them, right? Yeah. Like that's which Gosh. is. Surely right. that is the dilemma of every billionaire. <laughs> well, he was talking too. It's really interesting about say. The poverty that he was in at childhood was he had to he would have to go to the chip shop over the road and beg for the batter that yeah. was stuck to the back of the pan mm. to take home to give to the family. And we were talking about how does that affect you over the course of a life. And he said at the time as a child, didn't really think twice about yeah. it because that was just your, what's going on in your childhood you kind of view as normal. But he said he has massive anger issues and he thinks that it is to do with, he hasn't really, you know, done a ton of therapy through it, but he thinks it is to do with Being his hungry. childhood poverty. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... I really enjoyed um, talking to him, but I just felt like 
oh, I wish this wasn't an interview. I wish we were just sitting down somewhere with mm. a leisurely hour and a G&T to <laughs> have a chat. So. Well, um, I am definitely reading that book now. So, you know. Cool. You've transported me somewhere. <laughs> so now you're just fretting and looking at the clock. Exactly. So let's, I'll, I'll release you. I release See you. See ya. Go in peace. <laughs>